Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole, and we are now well into 2020. And the COVID-19 pandemic, it hit hard earlier this year, and it continues to remain prevalent as we get closer to the end of the year. Now, as we're looking at this, it's clear that COVID-19 isn't just impacting people from a health perspective. It's impacted jobs. It's impacted the economy. It's impacted the stock market. It's impacted plans that you have for your life. And so whether you've just recently retired or whether retirement's coming up in the next few years, it's likely that in one way or the other, the coronavirus has brought some financial uncertainty in regards to your preparedness or your readiness for retirement. So what we're going to talk about in today's today's episode is five mistakes that I want to make sure that you're avoiding in the midst of coronavirus and the implications that it has even in the financial side of our lives. I've seen too many people make these mistakes for the past several months. And what we want to make sure of is that you know what these mistakes are ahead of time so that you're not tempted to, to make the same mistake going forward. So with that being said, let's jump right in to talk about the five big retirement mistakes I see people make in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Mistake number one is people are neglecting their emergency fund. And maybe they weren't neglecting it, but maybe they just weren't prepared with an emergency fund in the first place. Now, the uncertainty that's been caused by this and people losing jobs or people's income being cut It's really in the midst of all this uncertainty that people are really realizing the need for that emergency fund. And a lot of people are wishing they had an emergency fund if they didn't have one over the past few months. So making sure that you have an emergency fund in place, in my opinion, before you're investing, before you're doing a lot of uh, saving or investing with your money, it's really, really important to have that emergency fund in place to protect you against uncertainty and what can go wrong like we've seen so much of the past few months here. So with that being said, how much should you have in your emergency fund? Well, the general rule of thumb is you should have about three to six months of income or expenses in your emergency fund. This number is going to be different for everyone, but really what you want to do is, is take a look at your expenses and look at them and say, if you were to lose your job or if income was to go away, what expenses would you have to pay? So if you're paying a lot of money on entertainment or shopping or whatever it is, well, temporarily, you're going to be cutting that, that, that stuff out. But look at things like rent or your mortgage. Look at things like groceries. Look at things like the utilities. Look at things like gas. What are the essentials in your budget that even if you lost your job, you would have to keep paying those expenses? Those are the expenses that you want to add up. And so if you take a look at that each month, the goal is to say, how can you set aside three to six times as much as those expenses are in a, in a given month? So if your monthly expenses, once you back out some things that would go away if you were to lose your job, say it's $6,000 per month. Well, what that means is you'd probably want an emergency fund somewhere between $18,000 to $36,000 just in cash. You're not investing it. You're not doing anything with that. That money is just there in cash as an insurance policy against what could go wrong, as an insurance policy against you losing your job or an unexpected expense coming up or some emergency that you have that you don't want to have to dip into your investments to pay for, or you don't want to have to go into credit card debt to pay for. If you already have cash set aside, then then great, your your emergency fund could be covered. Just earmark that cash as your emergency fund. If you don't though, especially with the uncertain times that we're in right now, my recommendation would be to really focus on building up your emergency fund before you do additional investments or additional savings or any additional earmarking of your money towards something else other than your emergency fund. 
The next question from there is where should you keep your emergency fund? Well, in, in the days past, you used to be able to get some level of interest on your savings. You might be able to get 2%, 3% or more using a high yield savings account or some type of a CD. The challenge is with coronavirus going on, as part of the Federal Reserve's response to this to try to keep the economy afloat and try to keep business going, uh, the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates to zero. Now, what that means is any high yield savings accounts or online savings accounts that you see, they're going to start to get closer and closer to zero as well when it comes to the interest rate that they're going to pay. Their interest that they'll pay you is really pegged to the Federal Reserve's interest rate. And since that is at zero, you're really not going to get much of a, a rate of return anywhere. And while it would be nice to get a little bit of interest on your emergency fund, the main priority with that is more of an insurance policy. Don't think of that as an investment. Think of that as insurance. Think of that as insurance against what could and will go wrong. So if you're not getting interest, it's not ideal, but that's not the main priority of that fund anyways. So there are some online yields, online savings accounts. Maybe you get half a percent interest. Maybe you get a little bit more than that. But find a place that you feel comfortable having your money. But again, that the interest rate shouldn't be the main priority. The main priority is do you have enough in your emergency fund to cover an emergency if and when it happens? So that's mistake number one, is people neglecting their emergency fund. So my advice to you is if you're listening to this and you have some cash already set aside, great, consider that your emergency fund. Now, you maybe don't want too much cash set aside. So going back to our example, if you determine maybe you want $35,000 in your emergency fund, but you have a lot more of that in cash, well, three to six months is just kind of a rule of thumb. If you'd be comfortable having more than that, or if you give you more peace of mind having more than that, that's totally fine especially if you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, or you have uncertain work, you might want to have more in your emergency fund because there's more of a likelihood that you'll need it. But if you have a very stable job or you're not concerned about losing it, that's where you maybe don't want to have excessive amounts of cash because any amount that you have in cash is good from the insurance perspective it provides of being your emergency fund. But there's also the opportunity cost. You're not going to get much interest on it. So what are you missing out on by not investing it? So understand how much you want to have in your emergency fund, make sure that's taken care of. And then with any excess cash from there, that's what you can use to pay or, or save for retirement or any other goals you might be saving for. Mistake number two that I've seen people make this year is making unnecessary withdrawals. So there's something called the CARES Act that was passed earlier this year that was designed to help people and businesses get through the coronavirus shutdowns that the, that the government imposed. And as part of that, the CARES Act temporarily waived the 10% penalty for early withdrawals from IRAs, 401ks, or other retirement plans like that. So what, what people are looking at is they say, okay, well, all of a sudden the 10% penalty is gone. Why don't I start taking money out of my 401k? Well, the money that you withdraw from your IRA or your 401k, it's still subject to income tax. So it's not like this said you can take money out of your 401k or IRA without any taxes or any anything due. It's just the 10% early withdrawal penalty. That's what was waived. And what that is, is if you're not yet 59 and a half, if you take money out of a 401k or out of an IRA with, with few exceptions, you're going to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty in addition to the taxes that would be owed on the amount that you take out. So I see some people taking money out of their IRAs or 401ks. And if there's absolutely an emergency, then that might be what you need to do. But what you want to do first is see if there's any other options. Do you have an emergency fund? Going back to the point we just made. Do you have any investments that aren't in a 401k or IRA that you could access without penalty or without, without paying as much in taxes? Do you have other sources that you could draw on? Because just because the 10% penalty is gone as part of the CARES Act doesn't mean that you should make 
withdrawals from your portfolio just for the sake of doing it. So I've seen some people do it. They think this is a great year. Let's take money out. Let's even just keep it in savings if needed. Well, take it out if you need to. But if you don't need to, why incur any taxes that are unnecessary? Not only are you incurring taxes, but now any money that you take out, that's money that's not growing for you for retirement or for your long-term savings goals. This really just goes back to understanding your income and understanding your expenses that you have. So if you understand the relationship there and you, you, you're making sure that you have enough income to cover expenses, don't make unnecessary withdrawals. If you need to, you need to. But the mistake portion of this is making those withdrawals when you don't necessarily need to do so. Mistake number three, and this might be the biggest one that I see most often, is people make a lot of emotionally driven investment decisions. Now, this is everyone. We are all emotional when it comes to our money. As much as we might think that we're not, as much as we might think that we have that long-term perspective or we're not subject to the concerns of what's going on in the stock market, the reality is all of us have these emotions tied to our investments and our money and what we see happening to it on a day-by-day basis. This came into play in a big way earlier this year. From February 18th to March 23rd of, of, of this year, 2020, the S&P fell in value by over 33%. Many other stock markets, whether they're indexes that measure small companies or international companies or emerging markets or, or other things like that, they fell by a lot more. So we had the fastest ever bear market ever recorded earlier this year. And in the midst of the bear market, not only is the market going down, but uncertainty is at high, high levels. I mean, not only is your money dropping 10%, 20%, 30%, But in the midst of that, you have no idea how long it's going to continue dropping for. Because of that, a lot of people, they make emotion-driven decisions. They say, I want to protect what I have. And they unfortunately tend to sell their investments at the bottom. Well, by March 23rd, that was the end of the initial downturn. But at the time, we only had 47,000 confirmed coronavirus cases. Unemployment claims had only reached about 3.4 million. And now, much later in the year, we know that both of those numbers are significantly smaller than what they ultimately ended up being. Coronavirus cases ended up being much more. Unemployment claims ended up being much higher. And so as you look at that, knowing that things are going to get worse before they get better, most people said, let's just protect what we have. Let's let's sell out. Let's go to cash. Let's protect our investments. And then we'll get back in when things seem to get better. That's the phrase I hear all the time. Well, when things get better, when things calm down, then we'll get back in. Well, what happened is March 23rd, we hit the bottom. Things did not get better. In fact, they continued to get worse in that regards. But this S&P 500 had its best 50 days in the history of the stock market. In fact, the S&P 500 has since broken even and hit new all-time highs since this point. But so many people are still in cash or so many people made a change at that time. And they're still waiting for things to get better. Well, the unfortunate reality is the stock market recovers well before things get better in most cases. In fact, on average, the stock market will begin its recovery a full 107 days before the end of a recession on average. So people who are waiting for all quiet or all calm in the investment markets or in the economy before they invest again, well, you can do so. But just understand that if you do that, you're going to miss out on whatever recovery is going to happen. The stock market recovers before the economy recovers in most cases. And that wasn't just this time that that happened. Again, the coronavirus case, that was unique in that it was coronavirus. And there's some specific things around this. But there will always be uncertainty in the stock market. There will always be things that seem like the the quote unquote new normal. And this time is different type events. But the reality is they never really are. 
In fact, if you look at just the, the stock market's return, if you look at what are all the times that the stock market has declined by 20% or more, and then what have been the forward-looking one-year, three-year, and five-year returns on the stock market from that point, well, after a 20% market decline, on average, one year later, the stock market is up 14.2% from that down point. On average, three years later, the stock market has averaged 11.5% per year after a 20% market decline. And on average, after a 20% decline, the stock market over the next five years averages about 11.75% per year. These numbers are from a dimensional fund study. But what it's showing is that just because the market goes down doesn't mean that downturn continues. The stock market continually goes up over time, but it's punctuated by these very severe, these very painful, and these very uncertain moments where the stock market can go down in value by 20% or more, and it can do so very quickly, like we saw earlier this year. So the mistake that I see people make isn't that they're invested in things that go down like that. It's that when their investments do go down like that, they panic, they sell, they do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And it's our emotions that cause us more pain. And it's our emotions that, that create worse outcomes for us than it actually is our investments. So the mistake I see so often is people panic selling. And not just panic selling, but panic buying too. This goes both ways. So one of the best things that you can do is prepare yourself emotionally to know what to possibly expect from the exact investments that you're in. Now we can't ever predict the timing of when the ups and downs will happen. But if you have somewhat of a framework of, okay, what, what outcomes could I expect? That helps. And then it's also important to understand what is the right mix of investments for you in relationship to the goals that you have. Should you be in a very aggressive portfolio because you want to maximize growth and your focus is on increasing the value of your investments over time? Great. Just understand that comes with more ups and downs. Are you in retirement or approaching retirement and maybe need to have a portion of your portfolio invested in things that won't, weren't subject to the ups and downs of the stock market that we saw earlier this year? Well, great. That can also help sometimes just emotionally understanding that not the total value of your portfolio is going down with the stock market, but you have other parts that are designed to be more stable and designed to, to provide more protection. So make sure that your portfolio is in the position that it needs to be. Make sure it's allocated correctly. And then secondly, Protect yourself from yourself. Avoid those decisions that you're making that are driven by emotion. This is where a third party can help, or this is where a strategy that you have written out ahead of time can help, knowing that you're not making your decisions based upon what just happened. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. This fourth mistake that we see is forgetting to reassess your current budget. So what I've seen so often over the past several months is people, they have their budgets, they have their portfolio, their portfolios help them to create the income that they need to, to live on their budget if they're retired. And what happens is, well, their budget is now way different. People that were going to see movies and going out to restaurants and traveling a whole bunch and doing all those types of things that, that you want to be able to do in retirement, well, there hasn't been a whole lot of that going on the past few months. Restaurants were closed for a while, and I know movie theaters are now opening back up in some places, but those were closed. A lot of people aren't traveling like they were just because of travel restrictions or just difficulty in traveling that, that no longer exists or just for health concerns, people not wanting to go to airports or go to other places. So in the midst of that, revisit your budget. You might not be needing to take as much money from your portfolio, which in fact helps to support your portfolio. If your expenses go down, well, make sure that your budget reflects that because that means there's less money that you need to take from your portfolio. And when the market's in a downturn and when things are, are going down in value in your investment portfolio like they were earlier this year, those are actually great times that if you can cut back, do so. 
And, and not only could people cut back earlier this year, but in fact, it was almost easy to cut back in certain regards, just because you couldn't do some of the things that you could have done in earlier months or years. So make sure that you're, you're constantly looking at your spending as life changes, making sure that, that spending is reflected in your budget. And then that budget is reflected in how much money you're taking out of your investment portfolio. Now, if you're not yet retired and if you're approaching retirement, this can also help. Maybe you're not spending as much money on gyms or eating out or gas to get to work or again, travel and vacation. Take that money and if you have the means to do so and if you still have your your job and your income hasn't been impacted, well, as the market's going down, that's the best place to increase your savings. Again, going back to mistake number one, I'm going to assume that you have your emergency fund in place. If not, take the excess income that you have to, to solidify your emergency fund, but from there, this could be a great time to invest more into your 401k or retirement funds or other things like that because it's so much better to invest when the market's down than it is to invest when the market's up. Just because as it recovers, you're going to recover with it and your money is going to go up a lot more if you bought at the bottom than if you did anywhere else. So that's mistake number four. Just forgetting to reassess your current budget. It just goes back to the fact that financial planning is never a static thing that you should be doing. It's never just a set it and forget it thing that you're doing, and especially not so in the midst of a pandemic or in the midst of coronavirus or whatever else it might be. So pay extra special attention when there are major life events or major life changes like there have been in the past few months. So that's mistake number four. And mistake number five is just it's ignoring the CARES Act or other legislative changes. So earlier this year, there's a lot of legislation passed that was designed to help keep the economy going as, as shutdowns went into place. And as a lot of businesses were forced to be closed. So some of those things were, were one time in nature. For example, taxpayers were eligible for up to a one time direct deposit of up to $1,200 per adult, plus an additional $500 per child under 16. In addition to that, though, there's also other benefits. There was un- expanded unemployment benefits, which lasted through July and since been modified a little bit. There's the early withdrawal penalty waiver. We talked about this a little bit earlier, where the standard 10% early withdrawal penalty for distributions from IRAs or 401ks is now waived if it's for an eligible coronavirus-related distribution, which I think is going to be a fairly lenient definition. Now, as we talked about earlier, just because you can take money from a 401k or an IRA without penalty doesn't mean that you should, but if it's there or if it's needed, it is there. Another thing that was enacted is 2020 required minimum distributions are suspended. So what that means, if you have an IRA or a 401k and you're 72 years old or older, you're going to have to take required minimum distributions from those accounts. Also, if you inherited an IRA from someone that was not a spouse, you have to take required minimum distributions. The nice thing is for 2020, those RMDs are suspended. So if you need to take the funds, they're still there to take. It will be taxable, but you can still take them without any penalty. But if you don't need those funds and you want that money to keep growing for you uninterrupted by taking distribution, that's an option as well. And then there's some provisions for federal student loans and the act eliminated certain required payments on federal student loans and also but temporarily discontinued the interest accrual on that as well. So on top of that, there's some small business aid. There's the paycheck per paycheck protection program, the PPP loans, there's employee retention credits, there's deferral of payroll taxes. So a lot of details on what's offered. And, and, and not all of it applies to everyone. It certainly doesn't. But a mistake I see is people just not recognizing some of these changes that happen and not being on top of it. And sometimes it just, just comes down to not having the information because there is a lot of information out there. But if there's something that you qualify for, if there's aid that you're eligible for, then take advantage of that. That aid was provided because this is 
just a unique time where people are being forced not to be able to open their business doors for a while. And that aid is provided to be able to, to let businesses and people continue to pay their bills and continue to stay solvent in the midst of everything going on. So those are the big mistakes that we've seen. Again, you're probably sick of hearing about coronavirus at this point. I know everyone's sick of hearing it at this point, but there's the mistakes that I want to make sure that you don't face when it comes to how the coronavirus could impact your retirement planning. So just a quick recap, mistake number one, neglecting your emergency fund. Mistake number two, making unnecessary withdrawals. Mistake number three, making emotionally driven investment decisions. Mistake number four, forgetting to reassess your current budget. And mistake number five, ignoring the CARES Act and other legislative changes. I have summarized all these and as well as added a little bit more detail if you want to take a look at the show notes, which can be found on the webpage at readyforretirement.co under this podcast episode on that page. Other than that, that's all I got for this week, and I will be back next time. Thank you for listening to episode number 25 of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And you can find an outline of the show notes from today's episode, as well as all episodes at the Ready for Retirement website at readyforretirement.co. If you have a question you'd like for me to answer on a future episode, then go to the Ready for Retirement website. Again, that's readyforretirement.co. And there's a page there called Submit Your Question, where you can answer or ask a question that I will answer on a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.